Welcome to the Startup Grind Podcast. Starting a company is not for the faint of heart. They're always questioning, 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 tweaking, tweaking, tweaking. Where we talk to entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and thought leaders about how to build a great company. Like my friends, like you think you're crazy. I think you gotta be a little nuts. And change the world in the process. We optimize for impact instead of profit. It's never been a more exciting time to be an entrepreneur. From Startup Grind chapters across the globe. The chapter director for Cape Town. Boise, Idaho. London. Mala, Palestine. Guangzhou, China. And delivered to you every Monday and Wednesday. It's a startup grind. Hey there and welcome to Wednesday's episode of the Startup Grind podcast. Today we have a great conversation with Des Trainer, the chief strategy officer and co-founder of Intercom. Intercom has raised over $66 million to fundamentally change how businesses communicate with customers. A lot of businesses seem to agree as Intercom has over 10,000 paying customers so far. Dez's main focus is on the product side and he has written extensively about managing product builds and iterations through Intercom's series of books. Dez studied computer science in college and is a designer by trade. His favorite and only hobby is soccer. Let's listen into Dez Trainer speaking live from Startup Grind's global conference earlier this year. Cool, so uh, I'm Des, and I'm gonna be talking today about product strategy. Um, specifically, there's two elements I'm gonna be talking about. When you set it to build a product, how you think about it, how you think about uh, what features should go in, what features should be subtracted. And then secondly, when you know what you wanna do, how do you prioritize and plan a roadmap that will make sure you actually get there and build the thing it is that you set out to build? So the Sad reality is everyone's product will start out incredibly simple. Uh, we all basically take our inspiration from speakers, just like we saw, just like I'm about to say. We're all going to build really, really beautiful, simple, single-purpose products and be really, really impressed with ourselves. For example, this is Microsoft Word back when it started. And it's elegant and it's simple and it, that's the about dialogue. Other than that, there'd be nothing on the screen except for just a single, simple, uh, a single, simple canvas for which you can write. Uh, and it's funny seeing text editors go back this direction now. But here's Word today. It's, a, it's slightly more complex. It's definitely grown quite a bit. Um, and like, it's not just, like Word is obviously the whipping boy, but it's also the commercially most success, second most successful product of all time, so let's not mock it too easily. Um, here's Salesforce uh, back in the day when they launched. Um, some of us might remember this. And uh, my favorite thing about this, I don't know if you can see it, but in, under the account sign-up bonus, they're offering a complimentary Zig Ziglar tape if you create an account within two, day, two week, weeks, which is, I mean, they were the original growth hackers in a lot of ways. Um, so Salesforce have added a couple of products along the way, as you might have noticed. Uh, here's Salesforce today, basically. Uh, there's, you know, they've definitely expanded their offering slightly. Um, and they've done this while also becoming like anywhere between a 30 and $50 billion company, depending on what time of the month you read your stock charts. Um, so what's, what's actually happening here? I think what happens here is you start out with this little beautiful idea and it gets some sort of traction and your vision gets a little bit big and you realize, wow, we're actually dealing with something slightly bigger than we thought we were. And you go for it with an amazing gusto and drive and determination. You realize there's this whole world we can build on here. Uh, and it's not just like this beautiful little text editor that we were going to call Word and ship as part of Windows 1. Uh, and so you go for it. And features start coming in like nobody's business. And what actually what happens is, basically, over time, you get more users. If you, for, uh, for all of the flowery words we have for traction or product market fit or growth or whatever, 
Basically, we're talking about getting more users quickly over time. If you can do that, you're doing something. If you can't do that, you're basically not going to stick around for too long. So unfortunately, if this was all that happened, things would be perfect. And occasionally, this is all that happens. If you take something like Angry Birds or whatever, like they literally just got more users over time, but they didn't have to expand the features of Angry Birds to get those users. They just got hundreds of millions of people playing one game. That rarely actually happens in software. Typically what happens is you need to expand your offering to grow your market. Uh, and everything increases together. These users do not come without requests, without problems, without questions. You get more ideas, more bugs, more users, opportunities, types of users, teammates, more product requests, more feature requests, more use cases, and uh, it all just piles in. It all just piles up, and you're supposed to build all of these things together. So each of these, uh, sorry, one second. Hmm. Um, so the other danger is that as you kind of build out your product, what will happen is people will do their best to try and put you into a predefined category. Uh, they'll, they'll try and tell you you are a word processing software or you are a uh, CRM or you're a help desk or you're a ticketing or your email marketing automation software or something like that. And it all piles in. And if you accept that, you do genuinely run the risk of delivering like basically what's going to be like yesterday's technology tomorrow. So if you say I'm in the help desk category, people are going to say, well, where's your ticketing? Where's your priority? Where's your routing? Where's your this? Where's your that? Your entire roadmap is full of before you've even had an idea. So that's the danger of actually letting yourself be like predefined into a category. So uh, a great example of this recently for me has been like uh, photo apps. So basically Instagram got bought and everyone thought, there's obviously, you know, this is California, so there's gold in these hills. Uh, what, you know, when you see someone get a billion dollar exit for a few filters and a fancy interface, you think I can do that too. And that's, you know, that's trivializing the, the core achievement of the Instagram team who are phenomenal, but like, it's certainly the superficial outlook would lead you to believe we should build a photo app. So you, people build photo apps, lots of photo apps. In the past six years, we've seen 1,008 photo apps. Uh, over a billion dollars of venture capital has been put into photo apps. And how many positive exits of photo apps have there been? The answer is eight. There's eight positive accretive exits. And the thing I love about venture capital is that one of them was for a billion dollars, which means that they actually netted out positive, right? Uh, it's just as, unfortunately, there's a thousand other people who didn't necessarily do well out of the thing. So, You'll see this again and again. Like, so if you take t productivity tools, right, the world's most original iconography you'll ever find is that when people are trying to build productivity tools, uh, you basically like, you know, you're, you, you're given a sort of, here's all the features you need to build, and P.S., we've even made it easy for you. Your logo is going to be a check mark in a box, and you're like, okay, well, off we go. So, and as you can see, it's, that's just page one of productivity tools uh, in the App Store. This is like what you get when you have like category-defining thinking. It's just like, oh, we're, at, we're one of these, so let's do that. Um, the danger when you go down this route is that like you literally have so few uh, like degrees of freedom in terms of what it is you can do. So if all your competitors have all these features and people are going to keep drawing up these feature charts and to try and compare you, what they want to see is basically like, you know, Everyone wants to have everything that everyone else has, 
plus one more, right? And that one more is your USP, right? The only problem is everyone's doing this. So what you get is this infinite sprawling loop of people adding just one more feature, uh, which means that like you, obviously the products don't end up sleek and slimlined and like uh, svelte as they should. They end up pretty bloated. Forced productivity tool to Google Buzz, whatever. Like it's just everyone's looking for one extra thing they can do. I really like Ryan Singer, who's like the product manager at 37 Signals, or now called Basecamp. He made a point a while ago, which I think is very, very astute, which is that the very second you identify with a product category, you're basically outsourcing your, pro your product strategy to the past. If you're saying that we are email software, you're effectively saying everything that we've done before, is like all the original ideas we have, bend them. Archives, spam filtering, to-do lists, labels, folders, filters, that's what defines us now. Which is really dangerous for a startup because you, your entire like, uh, your existence hinges on creating new things and, and you know, category creation, not category following. So if there was a key point here, it would be that most software is overly complex, packed of crap that no one uses. <laughs> so, uh, so don't copy it. Instead, focus on your users and what it is that they're trying to get done. So it's easy when you see someone uh, like talking about, say, a help desk, uh, to sort of look at all the existing help desks and think we need to emulate all of this before we can even talk. But that's actually not true. Technology comes and goes in waves, and you, what you will find is you're copying ideas that made sense in 2007 or 2011. But we're not there anymore. Things have changed. The world is different. So. To give you an example of like areas where it was very easy for us in Intercom to follow a certain route uh, by sort of saying, well, if we're in this category, here's what we need to do. Uh, I'll, I'll walk you through one simple example of a time when we took an alternate route. So one of the things Intercom can do is uh, show you where your users are in the world. So for right now, this is Intercom's view of uh, Redwood City, actually. And uh, we can sort of see there's users all over here. And this map view is incredibly popular. And for the longest time, I didn't have a clue why, because it's not actually useful. It's cool for shots like this, for me standing on stage and saying, look, we've got users in Redwood City. But it's not actually a useful business thing, right? Or so I thought. Um, so why was it popular? Well, we looked at why people were using it. And like, in our opinion, it was like, well, this is the map. And by the way, Google Analytics has a more useful map because you can filter by language and operating system, all this sort of stuff. So we, were like, we couldn't work out what made our map useful. So we, we had to look at it and see, like, why, why are people using this product at all? And we found three very important things. One was, whenever somebody wants to impress somebody at an expo or at a stand like we have in the conference hall here, they'll put this map up on a screen. And what they're trying to do is show, we've got users all over the world. And, uh, and it works for that, because you can actually click through and be like, look, there's Johnny. Johnny's in Redwood City. There's Jenny. Jenny's in New York. Um, People want to impress investors, so they want to basically make some sort of claim that we've, we've cracked globalization by showing a map with a few customers over the world. And you know, I'm sure maybe a few investors go for that. Uh, and like most generally, people want to just boast. And they want to show, look how big we are. Look how established we are. And when you realize that this is what people are using a map for, you realize it's actually not. You know, If we think it's a map, we're, we're going to think, well, we're in the cartographical category, right? So let's go uh, dragged clustering, zooming, uh, like all the sort of usual stuff, accurate scales and distances. That's all the sort of stuff we'd, we, if we thought we were in the cartography business, we'd be copying all those things. Whereas we're not actually in the maps business. We're in the vanity business. It's a showpiece. 
So what makes it a showpiece? Well, if it was more beautiful, if it was animated, if it was easy to share without disclosing sensitive information about your business, then we're actually helping people show off with the map because that's the job they're hiring the map to do in the first place. So we built this. This is like our new map. It's animated, it's shareable, it gives nothing away, right? <laughs> the one thing it's not good for is, is being a map. It's good for everything around being a map, which is showing off how global you are and how engaging it is. And we made it really easy to share. So we, you know, one, day, one random Tuesday uh, a year ago, we, we basically shared our map. We're like, here's our map, go create yours. And lo and behold, people were like, you can create maps, that's awesome. And <laughs> now people all over Twitter every day are using this map to show off how globalized their business is or how much traction they've gotten in other areas. And that's purely down to the fact that we built what they wanted, what they, we built along the sort of axes of what they were using the product for. Not what we thought it was, not a map in the map category, but a tool for helping me show off and impress people. And it's been quite successful for that exact reason. You'll see this time and time again, like weather websites for the longest time obsessed about being in the meteorology, meteorology industry. So they will give you precipitation and people don't really care about the seven day precipitation forecast or pressure or Beaufort scales or any of that sort of stuff. People's questions are, do I need an umbrella? Can I barbecue tomorrow? So that's a real problem in Ireland, not so much in California. Um, what should I wear, right? The innovation in weather isn't in technology, it's in actually understanding why people want to know the weather, right? So the people who are going hell's, hell's, depth, hell's bent on sort of like trying to calculate, well, we can give you more precision about the exact type of rain and the exact, exact like number of inches of rainfall, that's actually not relevant. It's will it rain or won't it? Can I wear a t-shirt or not? That's the questions people have. Peter Drucker has the greatest quote in this, which is that he says, the customer rarely buys what the company thinks it's selling. And that for me gets to the core of it. You're not selling meteorology, you're selling information to inform a party or a barbecue or how to dress or whatever. A quick break from the Startup Grind podcast for some recent startup headlines. Lyft has received approval for its $27 million settlement of a driver employee classification lawsuit. A California judge agreed to the figure after previously rejecting a $12.5 million offer. The class action was handled by labor lawyer Shannon Liss Riordan, who was also involved with the controversial $100 million Uber settlement. Barack Obama says his interactions with Silicon Valley and VCs have piqued his interest in science, particularly in regards to precision medicine and genome mapping. The comments came as Obama was discussing his post office pursuits. Google Fiber has acquired gigabit internet provider WebPass for an undisclosed amount. The firm supplies fiber connections in Miami, Boston, San Francisco, Chicago, and San Diego. This represents Fiber's first acquisition under its parent organization, Alphabet. Let's get back to the interview with Des Trainer. So, I mean, a simple example, because I, you know, I get pitched a lot of different ideas, and the common one for like 2015, for whatever reason, was calendars. Calendars and email are basically the things people are going, going at hard. They're thinking, oh, this innovation in the calendar space. And I'm excited, because I love productivity tools. That's my passion. So I'm like, cool, show me your calendar. And, you know, what everyone fails to do is understand what a calendar is used for. If you close your eyes and think of a calendar, right, you're immediately you, you click into a set of, uh, of like numbers and boxes, right? But if you actually try and understand what a calendar is used for, it's things like, help me protect my time. Let me measure how I spend my time. 
Make sure I never forget important things. Let me quickly find a good time to meet with somebody. Or let me see how and where my company spend their time. They're real jobs people open calendars to do. But for whatever reason, whenever people go to, like, to build calendars, it's numbers in a box. Literally numbers in a box. Every single calendar product I've seen for the past two years has been a grid of 30 boxes with numbers in a thin font inside them. Sometimes they play with the typography a little and claim they're going to change the world. It's frustrating to see like people overlook the actual job the product is used for, instead focusing on aesthetic innovation. And it's not that aesthetics don't matter, it's just that you're not going to move things significantly forward through purely uh, pixel, pixel you know, appreciation. The point I'm forever trying to make to people is that like, before, before you release your product, you're designing for what you expect people will use it for. But once it's out there, like we saw with the map or like we're seeing with calendars, you know what the behavior is. You have infinitely more information about how your product is actually going to be used. So once it's out there, you then you simply work on how it is being used to make it better for that. So that's kind of the end of my treatise on, uh, on how to pick your product. It's like, your product will start small. You will be pressured to grow it and grow it and grow it. Don't ever release stuff thinking you're building into a category or copying your competitor's feature set. You're just going to deliver a broken, busted imitation of what was their best idea a year ago. Instead, focus on what's new, uh, what, what new information you have about how people are actually trying to use the product. And what you'll get from this is a set of ideas that your product team need to build, which brings us to our next topic, the roadmap. So roadmaps are a fight. They're basically the core of like, your strategy in a lot of ways. Uh, people can say, we're really innovative, but then if I look and I say, well, where's the innovation in your roadmap? It looks like you're just copying a load of help desk features. They're like, yeah, well, innovation's actually on the Q3 for innovation, actually. Uh, it's very easy to sort of let these things slip. If you, any company can tell you, you can tell how, like, how any company thinks about themselves simply by looking at their roadmap. There's like, in Intercom, we believe in like five inputs to a roadmap, and you have to balance them according to what you're trying to do. But the inputs in no particular order, and I'll walk through a couple of examples of these and then we'll be done, uh, is iterate on product, build some new ideas, solve some customer problems, occasionally build features to help you scale or help your business, help your customers grow within your product. And lastly, improve the actual quality of your product. So I'll talk through each of these. Uh, new ideas are the core of what makes your company innovative. They're the only thing that lets you consistently reinvent yourself and represent yourself to the world and be seen as being at the forefront of technology as opposed to being a laggard. But the true innovative ideas are actually counterintuitive. And by counterintuitive, I mean that no one's going to be asking you for it. Customers only speak in terms of solutions they've already seen, so no one's going to be asking you for this new idea. The data won't support it. It'll probably be dismissed as a toy or a gimmick, or why would anyone want an automated map or whatever. They're likely to fail. They're impossible to justify. They rarely have a precedent. And that's what makes them really, really hard to get done versus hey, 100 customers are looking for a merge feature, so let's go build a merge feature, right? Um, the point I forever say to people is you can make decisions based on history or you can make history, right? And when you're thinking about your product roadmap, that's literally the dichotomy you face. It's like, do we want to do something new that no one's seen before or do we want to do the thing that everyone's asking us to do? And 
both are right and both are wrong, but you have to have a delicate balance. If you really want to be innovative, you have to instill in your team and peers and ensure that it's safe for them to try new ideas that will probably fail. Uh, if they don't feel comfortable doing that, they're going to do the safest thing possible, which will guaranteed be absolutely as you expected, not particularly noteworthy. But most crucially, you have to ensure that if somebody has a new interesting idea and you trust them, do not make them rationalize it. Rationalization is like a, a meat grinder. It takes a great idea and beats the crap out of it until it's a mediocre logical iteration of your current feature. It, you will not do anything exciting for as long as you must rationalize everything to death. So maybe I'll give you a quick example of uh, how we let this happen in Intercom. In Intercom, uh, one of the things Intercom does is it lets you talk to your customers. So this is the right-hand bar. This is an intercom conversation between a business and a customer. And we try to make internet business personal. And we thought, well, what would be cool to make this personal? So we were adding things like emoji and attachments. And uh, one day, an engineer said, well, wouldn't it be cool if we could actually ha like send a video message? Now, if he had a talk to me or anyone in the company, we would have been like, I'll give you six reasons. Number one, customer support teams do not have time to record videos. Number two, a lot of people do not like being on videos in the first place. Number three, people do not want to have to record something when they want to read out important data like URLs and data points. Number four, what the hell is the point in this? It's less fast. You know. Number five, we already have canned replies and responses and all this. So thankfully, he didn't talk to us. He just went and started building the thing, which is, uh, which is the whole point, right? And what we saw for our credit later was a video that hangs. <laughs> Aha, the world's first space bar selfie dance. This basically became the core of a, of a whole new type of usage between uh, customers and companies. And I'm still waiting. Can you flick that forward? Haha. Maybe this will work. Today, there are thousands and thousands of companies around the world talking to their customers through the medium of video replies, something that just literally wasn't possible before. And we have like Darth Maul up here in the top. We've got people who bring their whole team in. We've got all sorts of random things people do. On Halloween, people wear fancy, uh, fancy dress to do send video replies to their customers. You know, on Valentine's Day, people are holding up hearts. This is just literally a new thing that we never thought people in a million years could do, and nor could we have ever justified it. But because we let it skip ahead, it's now a really popular feature that other competitors are looking to copy because they're looking at yesterday and we're looking at tomorrow. So the key point here isn't to build video replies into your product. I can't guarantee you it'll work. Uh, more so, it's to, uh, it's to like ask yourself this question. What ideas are you rationalizing to death? What ideas? were cool when they came in the door, and by the time you finished having an executive briefing about them, they sounded like a mediocre, boring thing. Make sure great ideas can happen in your company without having to, like, for some reason, turn into a PDF project. Product iterations is an obvious one. So one way we build an intercom, we have this mantra of like, think big, but start small. So this is best summarized by something like a wedding cake. So if there was two ways to build a wedding cake, uh, one typical way to do it that most people go for is they'll build a cake base, and then they'll go off and build some filling, and then go off and build some icing. And at the very end of that whole thing, it's the day before they're going to get married, and they have a look at the cake, and they're like, actually, chocolate and spinach is not a great flavor for wedding cake. I wonder could I have learned this at any point earlier, or now I'm going to get married with a disgusting wedding cake. And the way we think about it in Intercom is we say, well, let's build a cupcake. Let's see if chocolate and spinach is a good flavor when it's a cupcake. Let's see if our oven works and if we know how to cook. 
Uh, and if we, when we get to the cupcake to a place where we're happy, we'll move on to a birthday cake. And if we're still happy and we think we can do it, let's move on to a wedding cake. All the while along, we learn more and more about the world in which we're operating. So every, the point I'd make from this is that every new feature you build will bring its own roadmap because you have to keep coming back to them. You can't launch an MVP of a feature and then walk away. Every new feature brings its own roadmap. Your roadmap is effectively a set of roadmaps for all the key workflows in your product. And if you don't have plans to revisit each of them, you're gonna have some real dead wood in your product. Give you a simple example of this. Uh, here's um, uh, one of our product managers, Michelle, is specifically asking everyone who's using our new feature, how can we get it better? People are replying to say, here's the things I want. We get this feedback in spades every single day for every single feature, because we're basically determined to never abandon anything in the product. We would sooner kill a feature than actually abandon it and forget about it. That's always how we work. Get rid of stuff you're not gonna work on and work on stuff you're gonna work on. Uh, so I, again, I'd ask you, what features did you ship and not revisit? Another source of input into our roadmap is customer problems. So customer problems, uh, can be best summarized by this. I'd like a faster horse. And the wrong thing to do, as we all know, is to say, here's a faster horse. Uh, the better thing to do is some version of, I'd like a faster horse. And you say, oh, right, so speed's an important attribute. I did not realize that. What else are important attributes in this transport type problem that you have? And they'll say, well, speed's a big one, reliability, stamina. It'd be great if I could cross the state in one day on a horse. I mean, that's not currently possible because you have to stop and eat and sleep. They're like, oh, okay. The, the general faster horse story is used to say, oh, customers don't know about their world. That's nonsense. Customers know everything about their problem. They just don't, think, they just don't know anything about their solution. They have expertise in the problem. Funny example of this recently was in a discussion I had with Slack. Uh, I was saying, hey, Slack, it'd be great if, uh, if we could tell if someone's in a meeting based on their calendar. And what I loved was their reply was not, yes, we'll build a Google Calendar integration, which is what stupid Des was thinking, but they said, no. We'd like to make it better to know when someone is unavailable and why, which is the best generalization of the problem you could imagine, right? It's an abstraction of the use case. Um, the, the danger here is that customer feedback is tricky to parse, it's easy to misinterpret, and it's easy to build the exact thing that that one user wanted, but you'll have to do that 100 times over to solve the general problem. So when you get a shitload of customer feedback, the trick is, break it down into the types of problems, the jobs people are trying to do. So if you look at communicate away status, number one there might be Des saying, hey, I'd love a Google Calendar integration. But number two might be a totally different way, a totally different expression of the same problem. And you only want to build one. Otherwise, you end up in a product where you've got like 10 ways to do the same one thing. So I'd ask you that. What features did you ship and not really understand? I'm kind of against time here, sadly, so I'm gonna have to skip a point. We talked about the five inputs, the like, you know, customer feedback, new products, iterations, features to help you scale, and quality. The idea is, you'll, you, like, you know, when you start, obviously everything is new and you have no customers, so you have no customer feedback. But as you grow, you can probably do progressively less and maybe some more doing stuff the customers are actually specifically requesting. Your formula will change over time. The last piece I'd leave you with is, uh, in Intercom, we work to this idea of 666. That's not to say that we're Satanists. Um, we're not. Uh, but um, it's how we think about the roadmap. We think in terms of six weeks, six years, and six months. 
So for every part of Intercom, we have a six-year vision, as in what will the world look like because of cur current technology trends plus what we're building in six years' time. And it's deliberately six years because we don't, we don't want people to think, oh, the next iOS release or anything like that. We want them to think properly, 2022, what change is going to happen. And then six months is the derivation of that. Any six months is a large enough chunk of work such that you should be able to see how this is a significant step towards your six-year vision, right? And then finally, six weeks is super tactical. We plan our days, weeks, months, years, quarters, you name it, in Intercom. Six weeks is rigid. It, we can find it in Trello or on Asana. It's exactly what we're doing. We're not allowing for variation there. I think this is a really useful way to work. Your numbers might change, but 666 is a great way to think about your product, your team, your company, your vision. If you found this useful, I'm Des Trainer from Intercom. And if you want the slides from this, because I know I skipped over a couple, just des-slides at intercom.io. I hope you enjoyed this. Thanks so much for your time.